just as many people, if not more, are going to be impressed with you, including me, if you take a risk and try to do your own thing instead of getting a fancy title at a fancy company. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. And a blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, I'm so excited for you to meet Lauren Bates. She is the founder of Wild Terrains, which is a group travel company for women. And I am currently signed up for one of her trips to go to Iceland in a couple months. I'm so excited. She also has a big badass uh, marketing background. She was the former CMO of Urban Stems. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me. Hailing from Brooklyn, New York. Yes, a new resident of Brooklyn, New York. I moved you are? Okay, where did you, li- tell us where you grew up. Give us, tell us about your family. Oh my gosh, okay. It's not that interesting. I grew up in the U.S., um, we lived in Texas until I was about 10. What part? And then uh, Houston. Okay. Um, yeah, my family's from the South, so my mom's side is from Louisiana. My dad's side's from Tennessee, so I'm southern southern roots um and then my parents split I moved to New Jersey with my mom for middle school and high school how old like Mm -hmm. around how how old um when they split I was Mm -hmm. 12 or 13 okay Um, so some pretty like formative years for that situation super super um and yeah, and then I went to college in Nashville. I went to Vanderbilt. Um, nice. Yeah, good school. Yeah, great and school. That's So were you a good student? Super good student. I finished Vanderbilt in two and a half years. With two I'm de- sorry. Two, I know, with two degrees. I was a smart kid. <laughs> All right, back, let's, let's do a backup here. Let's do a backup here. Are you an only child? No, I'm a twin. Really? Mm-hmm, I have a twin. Identical. Okay. Not identical. All right. So twin. And is he as academic, book smart, driven as you are? I Not quite. He's not quite as much of a perfectionist. He was more athletic. He had, you know, more of a cool kid. I was definitely the nerdy one. Um, (laughs) And now he's super successful and, you know, he's also doing really well. But yeah. All right. So you live in New Jersey. You moved to New Jersey, which I'm guessing is pretty different from Houston. Super. Got made fun of for my accent. Um, now I don't really have one. I think they like, you know, bullied, bullied it out of me. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to laugh at that, but you were laughing at it. So I'm just going to yeah, 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 yeah. go I mean, with you. I think, I think it, it, you know, I haven't really thought about it, but I actually think, move, you know, living in two distinct places, I wasn't like an army brat, so I didn't move all the time. So I, you know, I still have really great friends from that time period and it was very formative. But I do think um, having my entire like life and setting and social circle change when I was, yes. you know, 12, 13, that 
did really probably impact me. Like I'm, I'm really sensitive to people fitting in, um, Mm. in places. I'm always kind of watching out for the wallflowers when I'm at parties and on, uh, you know, running our trips. So I do think that probably had an impact. It gave me some empathy in that department. And I think what's interesting is you've created a business in which, so I'm going by myself and I know that there are other people, other women that will be going by themselves on this trip. The reason why I picked this was because I knew that it was a safe place that I could go by myself, you know, because I wasn't well, going really to be alone. to hear you say that because I think, you know, that's something that we really try it's not easy to do to make someone feel comfortable in a group where they don't know anyone. So that means that something about the way we were talking to you on our website or when you were making that choice clicked. And I, and it's very, very, very important to me. It's really one of our core values is that we are an inclusive and welcoming space. And so that is really trickles into every decision we make, um, how we, start the groups in the groups who we, you know, invite in as partners on the trips, who we hire as trip leaders. So yeah, I do think it's, it's a space where you can, you are definitely, you're going to fit right in once you get there and you, you'll be able to be yourself too, which is really a lovely experience. Yeah. Vanderbilt, you graduate in two and a half years. Do you have a job right after that? I didn't. I actually, it's funny how full circle this was, but it wasn't, I didn't really make the connection until recently. I, Vanderbilt had this scholarship that they gave to one student every year. You applied for it where you got to go around the world and study a topic that you were interested in. And they paid for you to visit 12 countries over 12 months. And I, worked really hard on my proposal. I applied for it. I didn't get it. Um, and I was devastated because I kind of, I don't know, it was sort of the first thing where I had really, I had always been a good student, but this was something I just like really wanted and, um, I didn't get it. And someone told some, a friend or someone was like, well, why don't you try to do it on your own? And I had, my proposal was actually studying what it was like for women to live in countries around the world. So I decided to do it myself. Um, and I had, I didn't have any money and my, my mom was not the type of mom that was like, here's my credit card or here's cash. Like I just did not have that upbringing. So I worked through college and I saved part of the reason I graduated in two and a half years was because college was so expensive. Um, And I saved some money and I decided to go to Southeast Asia by myself and study. I would never be able to do that. I look back now and I'm like, why did they let me do that? (laughs) I mean, I was 21. What year was this? Like what, what's going on in the world? nine 2009 so it was the economic crisis it was kind of a bad time to look for a job Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know what else was going on you really I didn't have a smartphone yet 
So I really was like traveling without a way to, you know, I went to internet cafes and wow. emailed my mom that I was alive every week. It's insane. Insane. Yeah. And I went from Vietnam. I started in Vietnam, went from there to Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, Indonesia, Nepal. And then I ran out of money. I did all of that, including the flight for $5,000 savings for seven months. So when you got back, were you like, I want to go into the travel business? So I really, I didn't trap the travel business hadn't really crossed my mind. I, I was like, I really want to work for a nonprofit. Um, and I, but so what I did was I volunteered at nonprofits like care international pro mujer, like big nonprofits now, um, along the way. And I got kind of disheartened, um, Mm. doing that. I met such wonderful people and I really did feel like I was immersed in, you know, seeing how women were living in all of these countries and all of really the hard things they had to deal with it. I felt like it really, I wasn't a super sheltered kid, but it really opened my eyes to how lucky and privileged I was growing up. Um, yeah. And most of us are in the U S. Um, right. But I came home and I, I felt a little bit, I was had so much energy. I was so driven. And I felt like if I went to a nonprofit, I would be bored potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I went and got a job at PwC. <laughs> which was oh, all right. Random. Uh, I hated it. Did that for two years um, as a consultant with a bunch of other kids out of college. And then from there, I quit that and went to an advertising agency. And that's really where I got, it was a small advertising agency. Okay. Um, I got my, what I call my master's in mark, digital marketing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and worked with lots of different clients was really challenged made no money I lived I actually lived in New York City at that for six years at that time and then I got the job with Urban Stems and moved to DC okay to and for those that. listening Urban Stems is an online goodbye bouquets of flowers yes yes flower delivery service Mm-hmm. And it was one. And what was unique about it? There are some other companies who do this, but I think what was truly unique about them at the I was the first employee after the founders. So, Insane. so when I joined, what was unique was that they had cut out um, all of the middlemen in their supply chain, which a lot of people don't realize when you order from a one eight hundred flowers. There's just a lot of people handling the flowers along the way, and obviously all the costs of that get passed to the consumer and then the quality goes down every time someone's handling it. And so it's why you pay $90 for, you know, a crappy dozen roses. Right. Um, (laughs) It's a terrible experience. So I felt like they were really on the cutting edge of trying to fix that experience. And when I came in, my skill was in um, marketing, but also as a math major. So in data and I looked at their early data and noticed that it was actually a lot of women sending to women. And 
that's not really the, it was five male founders. So they thought they were marketing to, you know, men who were buying men, for their girlfriends and women. couples, men buying for girlfriends and their wives and mistresses and whoever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they were wrong. You know, the data showed that it was actually cool because they started in DC. I think there were a lot of young professional women um, who were keeping tabs on what was cool and also those young professional women have a lot of things to celebrate in their lives, you know, promotions, engagements, babies. Um, and so really what the data showed early was that women were using it to send to their friends and the women in their circles. And so I took, when I took the marketing over, I played into that. And, and that really, they went from pretty much zero revenue to 30 million in revenue in four years. Unbelievable. Yeah. And so I felt like that was, I loved that job. I learned so much. It was really stressful. It was a VC backed company. Mm. Uh, I've chosen to not take funding for wild trains because of my experience with that. But I feel like I, in a way I got to play with someone else's money. (laughs) You know, I learned a lot doing that and I got to try. Do you want to say, do you want to say why you haven't, why you've chosen not to? What did you yes, learn I that think you were like, really, no way, Jose? Well, I think there's a couple interesting things when you take funding. Some businesses need it, right? If you are opening, let's say something like The Wing, which is a co-working space for women, you have to pay for a giant space and you have to furnish it and you need a bunch of employees. So, you know, a normal person can't just, you know, take from their savings and start that company. So I think it does make sense for some companies to take it. Um, I think it's sort of been hyped up in a way. I think we're, you know, we see a lot of excitement and drama around these startups that have taken a lot of funding. And I think what we don't talk about enough is the downsides of it. And what I saw was, The more money you take, the more you have outside people telling you how to grow your business and how fast you need to grow it. And I think the quicker that starts happening, the quicker you are to sort of lose the original mission. Mission and and purpose and and values, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, of course, there are examples of businesses that have done that well, but I think it's a really tall order to do it well. And I also think that underneath a lot of those businesses isn't a profitable business. And I sort of question, why are we celebrating businesses that aren't profitable? Like that just doesn't right. make sense. That's, no, no, that not at all. So for me, it was super important to not take it so that I could build a profitable business. Um, and I could also control to a degree, you know, how fast we grow and make sure that our culture stays constant throughout. Was that, was that also part of the rub when you left? I think so. Um, I think that it's, I think it's sort of like dating. If you think about it, you know, you, 
you always kind of swing the other way. I feel like when you're dating. So if you date someone who's like too nice, you're going to date a jerk next because you need just like a little drama. (laughs) And, you know, I think that's sort of the way, um, probably for me, you know, I just, I didn't have my, my last year in that experience was not a great one. And so while I loved the job, I loved the product. I'm still a part owner in the, in the company. Um, I think I've really worked hard to make sure my business doesn't fall into any of those, um, any of those traps, I guess I would say, but I still think I'm doing it the right way. (laughs) Yeah. Over the years, I've coached executives and young professionals looking to embrace their strengths, level up their leadership, and find their dream careers. Just like my podcast guests, my clients have been stuck, but I've helped them navigate whatever challenge they're facing and find a way forward. That's the goal of our 10-week coaching program, Move Forward. Through my guests' best practices, our coaching tools, my team and I will help you discover your primary motivations and challenge the unhealthy and limiting beliefs that are holding you back. You'll use neuroscience to create new healthy habits and create a move forward plan for your future. If you're interested, you can visit failforwardpod.com backslash coaching to learn more and to sign up for a one hour exploratory coaching session. That's failforwardpod.com backslash coaching. Alrighty, Ro. So you leave Urban Stems, right? You exit that. Then what? I sort of had an idea for Wild Terrains. Um, I didn't leave Urban Stems in the way that I wanted to. And so I really had, I spent about four or five months taking on some consulting stuff, doing a bunch of interviews with these brands that wanted to hire me full time. And I kept coming back to this feeling of who am I doing this for? And yes, it would be lovely and impressive to have another big, cool brand on my resume and say I was their CMO. But like, I think one of the reasons that I didn't leave Urban Stems in the way that I wanted to was because ultimately I was overstressed because the company was being run in a way where it was just too fast to pace. It was too demanding. 30 million wasn't enough. Um, And, and so I think that brought out a side of me managing a whole team that just really didn't feel great to me. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. It was an overworked, burned out version of me. And so, but I had to, and so I knew that internally and I probably deep down knew I shouldn't put myself in another situation like this. All right. I got to press pause because I think this is really a really interesting um, tidbit here. So from realizing that you're going to exit Urban Stems, you're leaving. Okay. Mm -hmm. You leave on terms with them. You go. How do you get from, because you said your ego, everybody's ego is always hurt when they don't leave the way that they want to, or they don't achieve certain things, or it's not the right match for them, right? How did you get to, because I think most people would stay in that egoic place. How did you get out of that and recognize 
almost like yeah. abundance or bigger or, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely, I think looking back, it looks like, oh, I made this easy transition, but it was not easy. I cried. No. I, I mean, I cried every day for months. Um, and I also went through a terrible, I mean, they were at the same time, I went through a terrible breakup, seven year relationship ending in the Ugh. same two months that that happened. So I just was a total mess of a human. Yeah. And I think that's yes. important to talk about because, you know, I've talked to so many people now who, like you said, have had things end in ways that whether it's a job or a, a relationship or just everyone could kind of relate to that. And yeah. it's awful when you're it's in it. It's awful. I couldn't see the, you know, light at the end of the tunnel when I was in that moment. Um, I had something that I think I have always been sort of someone who really listens to what people say, but is also seeking approval a little bit mm. in, in what they're saying. And so I'm always listening for feedback and take, I take it really personally. And so something that kept coming up is I would go do coffee dates with friends or, you know, career contacts. And I would say, oh, I'm interviewing here and here and here. Oh, and I have this idea for this travel company for women. I'm not really sure. It would always be the last thing I would say. And enough of those friends said to me, you really lit up when you were talking about the travel company. And I just wanted to point that out to you. And I really remember this. My, my dad was an entrepreneur when I was growing up and never really, you know, he had companies that succeeded for, you know, seven, 10 years, but they never really sort of, they ultimately didn't succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think one day I was talking to him and I was so stressed about, you know, I had gotten some offers from these jobs, but I, and I felt guilty for maybe not taking them. And sure. he said to me in that moment, he said, you know, honey, just as many people, if not more, are going to be impressed with you, including me, if you take a risk and try to do your own thing instead of getting a fancy title at a fancy company. Um, and I felt like that just, I like will always remember that. It just gave me the permission to kind the of- The permission. Leave. Yes. I probably shouldn't have needed it, but I, I did need it. Um, no, I, I mean, I don't think we need to should ourselves. I think that we all need to hear that permission sometimes, all the yeah. time. And and how lucky that you had him to, to say that. Yeah. And I love the light up thing, too. I love I love the light up thing, too. Yeah. We don't always pay attention to that on ourselves. No. Like I was lucky to have friends pointed out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your tribe. You can do that for other people, you know. Notice when people are lighting up when they talk about it. I think something culturally we do, not even just women, just I think people in general is, you know, someone says an idea they have and we like to point out the flaws or why it won't yeah. work or, you know, there's already someone doing that. And instead of kind of giving room for this, like, bright light that's coming out of someone and, you know, They'll figure out the flaws. Trust me, they will, you know. Totally. They will. They um, already have figured out those flaws in their head and they've said them to themselves 50 million times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And if they haven't, they, you know, hello, that's part of being an entrepreneur. You learn something new every day. You figure it out. That's right. That's right. At that point, do you start the business then? Are you like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then I'm so curious. Did you go back to your data roots and say, okay, like, did you use any of your math stuff with this? Because I look at your marketing and I'm like, oh my God, it's so good. Thank you. Um, I think it's art and science, really. So I think, again, it's, I sort of feel like I was an investigative researcher when I started. I didn't know anything about travel. I was very plugged into marketing to women under, Mm -hmm. I sort of thought at the beginning, I was like, I'm launching a travel company for women in my age group. So like in their thirties and forties, um, but I always stayed really open. And so that was actually what I launched initially. And very quickly, um, I started getting emails and messages and calls from women in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s saying, okay, I just found your company and it looks really cool, but all the women in the photos are in their 30s and 40s, but can I come? And I don't want to go on a senior citizen trip. Senior citizen trips are lame. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. I just was like listening. I kept listening and I kept saying, whoa, this is a truly missed market. And really, I think when you, what my like five years of completely studying the travel industry has shown me is that there's most companies are really being, and I, I don't mean this in a judgmental way, but quite, um, silly about how they're marketing to women. They really box women into these niche boxes. They say, I like what, like what? Most travel companies have an age range listed on their website. So they'll say for 25 to 39 year olds. I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you, what if a 43 year old wants to go on that trip? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of travel companies, don't um they they organize trips based on a really specific niche which i do think there's a market for a yoga retreat like oh okay okay okay, yeah um but i also think we do that to women a lot in our marketing we box them in we stereotype Mm -hmm. them we say you're a new mom you want this you like yoga you want this guess what i like yoga i don't want to do yoga every day on my vacation and drink only green juice it's just not (laughs) I don't think it's realistic. Um, The other thing travel companies do that just bothers me so much, and I think most consumers don't even really notice it, but I'm I'm very passionate about changing this, is when you go to book a group trip with any other company except us, if you look at their Iceland trip, it doesn't say where you're staying. It doesn't say who's cooking your food. It doesn't say who's the partner leading the tour of this or the tour of that. Um, and there's really, there's reasons for that. It's easy to copy a trip if everything's published on your website like ours. Oh, um, gotcha. But it also really actually disenfranchises the consumer because you don't know where you're tourism dollars are going. You don't know if the hotel you're staying in is ultimately like a Chinese bank or if the, you know, person who's cooking your meals is actually not local and not, you know, you have no way of knowing that. And so 
I think that's another big issue with travel is transparency, like putting information into the consumer's hands so that they can say, yeah, I feel good about this purchase. I know where my tourism dollars are going. I can see the faces of all the people I'm going to meet. Yeah, I love, I love that. Support. I'm sure everybody listening, it is. I'm sure everybody listening is wondering how the heck did she make it through COVID? How the heck did you make it through COVID? What did you do? Financially, emotionally, team-wise? So in a way, I was, I mean, COVID was horrendous, horrendous, horrendous. Um, I actually was waiting to pay myself a salary Mm -hmm. until I had the company profitable. So Mm -hmm. I funded the company with 16 grand of my own savings. Um, and then I just sort of, you know, anytime I was making money, reinvested it back. And so that was the first two years. And so I didn't have a salary then I was the only employee and I did consulting those first two years to pay my rent and bills. And I think that's also a lot of people don't see, like, if you're, if you don't trust fund and you're not from like a wealthy family and you don't have funding, you have to have a second job to make this yeah. work. Like companies don't make money overnight. So we were supposed to be profitable in March, 2020. Like we could see oh that it was going to happen. Oh my and then the world shut down. And luckily I didn't have any employees yet. So really it was Good. still just me. Okay. The downside of not paying myself yet is I didn't qualify for PPP loans. So I didn't get any help, um, which was awful. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I really spent the first year and a half of COVID with no salary. um, And I kept working and I kept building and I just, I, I cut all my expenses to super, super low. Um, Did you know though, that when things opened back up, that it was going to go because everybody wants to travel now. They're like, get yes, me the heck I, out. I suspected, and we did some things that I think were smart during COVID. Um, so I think the stressful thing for travel company owners that, and I think this is the same for like music venues and restaurants. Yes. It was, you know, if someone had told us it was going to be two years, we all would have gone to Mexico and sat on the beach, you know, like, <laughs> but we didn't know. So it was every month having to cancel stuff every month, having to like, and I think that cumulative stress made it a lot worse and also having to keep up with rules and regulations for us across five countries. Um, really, really tough, but, um, wait, what do you mean for us across five countries? What do you mean by that? Like can travelers get into a place, even if we wanted to open a trip, can travelers get into a country without being vaccinated or, um, so, so the things we did during COVID, I had already scouted it. We, before COVID had Mexico city and Portugal as our two trips. Mm-hmm. Um, I had already scouted Argentina in February, 2020 and was ready to release it and then held it. And I held it until okay. September, 2020. Okay. And then I said, it's been six months. People are like, we, there were no vaccines yet either. So it was very risky. I think I felt really nervous launching a trip in this t- 
time because I thought right. people might react negatively. Like you should be at home. Why are you promoting a trip? But honestly, I, I needed to make money. Like I needed yeah. to do something. So I launched Argentina September, 2020 with the first trip being a year later. So, you know, September. 2021. Yeah. 2021, which actually couldn't go. Um, but we launched it, hope, hope, hoping it would be able to go, and it sold out in two hours. No, so so that was going back to your like just listening. That told you that there was an appetite for it. Yeah. So then we launched another trip. It sold out. We launched another trip. It sold out. And so then I was like, oh, people are sitting at home, but they need something to look forward to in their calendar. So, and people seemed willing. We were very clear. We said. These are non-refundable deposits. We didn't relax our rules. Yeah, yeah. We said they're non-refundable. If the country's still closed, um, you know, we'll change, we'll let you move to any trip date in the future. And if you're not comfortable traveling, you know, here's the rules. You know, you have to let us know two months in advance to change your trip date. And people were fine with that. You know, I think people were like, okay, I get it. I can buy travel yeah. insurance. I'm ready. And so then I decided to work on France and Iceland and we launched those in 2021. Still vaccines were out, but still it was kind of like, Ooh, I don't know if these are going to (laughs) go, but I felt like I was like, okay, I need, you know, multiple destinations so that when the world does open up, yes, we can fire on all cylinders. Um, And I had a lot of, we have a lot of repeat travelers. So what I was seeing is like, oh, I have a lot of travelers who've already done Mexico and Portugal. So I need something else for them to go do after COVID. Like I can't just stick with the same trips. But the other thing we did during COVID that I think helped our audience stay engaged is we, and a lot of people did this, we launched an online community and we had cooking classes and book club. Oh, really? uh, and that helped our partner, you know, our partners all over the world, hotels were empty, restaurants were empty. Um, yeah. You know, people weren't shopping for things like they normally were. So we use that to kind of, you know, give our partners income as well as Love that. for us. Um, and it gave our travelers something to do while we were all stuck at home. So I think yeah. that was smart in hindsight. It was sort of just, it felt like desperation throughout it. I mean, really. And everybody was doing that. Everyone was yeah. like, what can I do differently? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to, I can't, I could keep talking to you forever, but I want to end with this last question. What do you think is going to be the next biggest thing in travel? Like because of COVID, how has COVID impacted people's travel appetite or... I know that's not a fair question because I just sprung that on you, but I'm, I'm just so interested to see no, what, what's going to change. I actually what is know it? because we're launching it. Um, I can probably say it. So um, we're going to test sabbaticals for women. So oh my yeah. God. <laughs> so it's complicated, but we're going to pilot it in Mexico city. Um, we're still kind of ironing out the details, but basically 
we'll get you an apartment, a beautiful apartment in a safe area. And everyone will be in the same building. We'll start small. So it'll be probably three or five women to start. Um, And you'll be able to choose one month, two month, three month periods. (laughs) And my favorite part of it is you'll be able to customize. I think our trips, why they are so successful is because um, they, they are super elevated. The experiences are incredible. You can't find them anywhere else. I have, I think I have an, uh, not to brag, but I think I have a sense of an eye eye that. that is unparalleled in the travel industry. And so what we're going to take into sabbaticals is we're actually going to allow you to curate your life for that period. So we're picking the best ceramics classes, the best language teachers. You'll be able to take jewelry making classes, cooking classes. Um, You'll be able to have, you know, a weekly massage. And basically you'll be able to like check a box for all the things that you want. We'll do amazing field trips and group activities, but it's like adult study abroads, you know, but next level. You know, men, you know, men are going to want that too. Men already want the trips. I'm like having to fend them off. (laughs) I know. I was telling a guy friend of mine last night and he was like, what? I want to be able to do that. I'm like, sorry, man. I'm so sorry. Once I, once we get a handle on all the women who want to go on our trips, I will start working on something for men. I promise. (laughs) Lauren, you have been so awesome. First thank of all, you thank so you for much. taking the time. I know how busy you are. So thank you. And I love what you've shared too. And that sabbatical thing is really wow. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It was super fun. I can't wait to have you on a trip. I know. Two months, girl. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.